So our scripture for today, guys, because it's not is straight out of Ephesians 3. We're wrapping up this little digression that Paul goes on, and then we'll launch into a series next week, about seven weeks long. We're going to look at the prayer that Paul prays. Ephesians 3, 11 through 13. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Thank you, David. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Glad to be with you as always. Um, I'm, and I am just loving this journey that we're taking together through the book of Ephesians. You know, it's crazy that we're separated by 2,000 years of culture and time, but it's remarkable just how relevant and applicable it is to us right here in Beaver, Pennsylvania. So if you've ever spent any time with me at all, you know that I don't always stay on topic, right? I usually either get so excited about what I'm talking about or, or something else just distracts me and, and I got to go over to that story first and then I'll get, but eventually I get back to it and I, you know, I do it by saying, well, anyway, what I was saying was, and I know that I'm not the only one because I've talked to some of you. But I also know that that's exactly what Paul does in chapter 3. If you'll recall, he describes in chapter 2 in some pretty great detail how God is building his church. He's building it on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ as our cornerstone. He's bringing together all who are in Christ, and he's making them one, building us into a holy temple where he dwells in us by the Spirit. That's his springboard for chapter 3, where he writes, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, and then he digresses for 12 verses. And we know that it's a digression because in verse 14, which we'll get to next week, he says again, for this reason, it's as if he's kind of saying, anyway, what I was saying was, <laughs> but here's the thing, just because it was a digression, it doesn't mean that it isn't important. There is a ton of great stuff in there. It seems that Paul's fellow saints in Ephesus were quite concerned about his suffering. That's how verse 1 starts and how verse 13 ends. They basically serve as bookends for what he says in between. He didn't want them to lose heart over what he was suffering for them. We'll get into that a little bit more in just a little bit, but it's important to note that that's the reason that he went off topic, if you will. And so everything within the digression is meant to encourage the Ephesian church that whatever bad or painful stuff that Paul was enduring or he might have to endure, it's actually all going to be used for good, not just for Paul, but for them as well. So after he uh, explained how he came to be a minister of the gospel through God's grace, Paul defines the two things that he was to preach and keep preaching no matter what. First, he was commissioned to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And second, he was to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. And last week, much to our amazement, we learned that the reason was so that through the church, 
the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. So hopefully now, you won't ever be able to see a kaleidoscope again without thinking about the church, God's manifold wisdom on display. So this is made out of a picture of us. Ooh, I think that's me up there, right? But, you know, we are the church, right? And, and at Four Mile Church, we're simply a microcosm of the universal church, past, present, and future. And so think about it, that God could take all who have been appointed to eternal life, the, an incredibly diverse mix of men and women, boys and girls, slaves and free, Jews and Gentiles, rich and poor, every language, every nation, every color, every tribe. He even takes CNN and Fox News watchers, liberals and conservatives, Browns and Steelers fans. And he tears down all the dividing walls between us. And he blends us together into an indivisible oneness, a beautiful kaleidoscope, all one with the Father, one with the Son, one with the Spirit, one with every other believer in Christ. That God could do that kind of miracle is of salvation. It's a wonder of wonders of his manifold wisdom and his glorious grace. So after Paul explains all of that, he sums it up by writing and thereby concluding his digression, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory." So we must know and understand that all that Paul has described about the church, none of it is a divine afterthought. Not one little bit. God knew that Satan would rebel against him and that we would follow after him in sin. Every bit of this was and is God's eternal purpose in Christ. It all pointed to Christ it all goes back to Christ. It all centers around Christ. It's all for Christ's glory that God rescues ungodly Jews and Gentiles, builds them into a holy temple in which his Holy Spirit dwells, and he uses them to put his manifold wisdom on display. This was God's eternal plan prepared in advance for his glory. I love how Paul is so very intentional with how he identifies exactly who he's talking about. He says, Christ Jesus, our Lord. With that title, Paul communicates four things. First, Jesus' lordship. To proclaim that Jesus is Lord is to affirm his authority and his deity. It was one of the earliest confessions of the church. Jesus is Lord. And it's the truth whether people want to acknowledge it or not. Jesus is more than the Messiah. He is more than the Savior. He is Lord of all. God's Word tells us that one day, every person who has ever lived will submit to that truth because God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. 
that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's a beautiful name, isn't it? Jesus. It's the name that the angel told Joseph to give the baby boy who was to be born to Mary. And every time we say it, we remember and we affirm his humanity, which is just as significant and just as important as his divinity. And to say Jesus Christ carries even more meaning. It isn't just his last name, which is why we can interchange, we can say Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus, right? Christ is more of a title. It means Messiah. And every time we say it, we remember that Jesus Christ is the anointed one, the one that God promised would come and deliver his people from their sin, bringing salvation to all who would call on him. And last, that little word, our, it reminds us of the incredible reality that we can have a personal relationship with him. He's mine, and he is yours through faith. He is Christ Jesus, our Lord. But listen to what else we have. Paul says that we have boldness and confident access to God through our faith in Jesus. This totally reminds me of how, when I was young, I used to waltz around Penn State Beaver campus like I owned the place. Well, the reason is because if anybody stopped me and asked me who I was and what I thought I was doing, I would be like, I am the daughter of Jake Workheiser. He was a teacher there for over 30 years. But I was completely comfortable there, right, because of who my dad was. And that's how we can be with God. Never in an arrogant or entitled kind of way, but with complete confidence and bold assurance that we belong. We can come simply because of whose we are. Think about the, how different that is compared to the way Adam and Eve felt like they needed to do because of their sin. You know, they, they hid. They were afraid. But by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ's shed blood alone, we can come boldly to God. Talk about a change in perspective. No fear, no shame, not a single thing we need to hide because we know that we know that we know deep in our guts that God's grace and forgiveness is ours in Christ. So as David mentioned just a few minutes ago, we're going to be spending quite a bit of time learning about and growing in prayer as we continue in Ephesians in the coming weeks. So I won't take a lot of time to get into it this morning. You're just going to have to come back for that. But what Paul is conveying here is that we have complete freedom to come before God whenever we want to and speak to Him about whatever we need to. And we can do it with confidence, knowing that we are in Christ. For Jews and Gentiles alike, this was an incredible thought, an incredible reality. As you'll recall, Paul was pretty adamant that the Gentiles remember that at one time they had been far from God. But now, in Christ, they were able to come into and enjoy God's presence without fear and speak openly and boldly to Him. But if you were a Jew, you would have been just as amazed. For centuries, the high priest alone 
was able to go into God's presence, and that only once a year on the Day of Atonement. Now, everything's changed. In this new mystery of the church, the veil has been removed, and we all have instant and personal access. Through, through faith in Christ, we can be bold in coming before God. Through faith in the Son, we can run to the Father with confidence. So I ask you, Paul writes, not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. So apparently the Ephesians were distraught over what Paul was suffering, that he found himself in jail again. Paul wanted to nip that in the bud real quick. With this whole digression, Paul is saying, look, the mystery of what God has done in creating the church is utterly indescribable. The privileges that we have because we are in Christ are eternal and inexhaustible. So don't even begin to lose heart, church. Least of all for me, any suffering I might have to endure to get the gospel out to as many people as possible, it's worth it. It's your glory. It's bringing you to the very glory of God in Christ. So I'm excited because though we often refer to this image, there's one part of it that we just haven't had the chance to speak a whole lot to yet. And that's that incredible word over there on the right-hand corner, glorified. Folks, that is the amazing promise of what awaits us on the other side of our last heartbeat. But before we get there, we've got to start at the beginning, over on the left side of that image. As we've talked many times before, and as we've walked through Paul's letter to the Ephesians, we've learned that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Before we arrived on this planet, God chose us to be His adopted children. And though we were born dead in our sins and our transgressions, squarely on that road, heading to eternal destruction, at some point in time throughout our lives, God made us alive in Christ. By grace, through faith, we have been saved by nothing other than that red drop of Jesus' blood that washes away all our sin. It is in that moment that we are justified before God, declared righteous, and not because of anything we had done, but all because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross on our behalf. In that moment, we are born again, no longer dead in our sin, but made alive with a whole new life in Christ. And that's when we're placed on that other well-lit path that is the rest of our lives walking hand in hand with the Holy Spirit, being sanctified, which is just a fancy word that means that God is ever at work in our lives, conforming us more and more to the image and the likeness of Christ. So this is basically where the it's okay to not be okay, but we don't want to stay in that not okay place fits. As long as we are on this earth, we will be fighting the effects of remaining sin in us. The battle is long, the battle is hard, and we will all fail every single day. But God, He never fails. He is faithful, and He has promised 
to complete the work that he has started in every one of us. But here's the thing. We've promised you here at Four Mile Church that we're always going to tell you the truth. And the truth is that more often than not, the way that God conforms us to the image of his son is through suffering. Not necessarily a comforting thought, nor is it a popular one. But we see the evidence of it all throughout Scripture. You see, suffering has a way of exposing our idols, of stripping away whatever might be entangling us, and of, and of revealing those places in us that still are broken and in need of restoration. And so God allows it. He ordains it because he loves us. Those moments or seasons of difficulty and suffering in our lives are not evidence at all of the failure of God's plan or faithfulness. Those moments are part of his plan. As Paul David Tripp writes, they are placed in our lives as tools of his ongoing work of rescuing, transforming, and delivering grace. They are in our lives because the God we serve esteems holiness more than he esteems our temporal definition of happiness. He is not working to give us that temporary, situational, emotional high. He is working to produce something much better, eternal joy and glory. You know, it's one thing for us to get to that place where we can accept and maybe even embrace suffering as a means of God's sanctifying grace in our own lives. But what Paul is saying here is that he is more than willing to suffer if it means that God's sanctifying grace will be at work in the lives of others. I couldn't help but think of what he wrote to the Corinthian church. I mean, his message to them was virtually the same. We are hard-pressed on every side, he said, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. All of this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are each achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. For Paul, every ounce of any kind of suffering he had to endure, to be faithful to the commission that Christ had given him, it was worth it. It was beyond worth it. Whatever it might cost him, as far as he was concerned, was a steal. He urged his brothers and sisters in Christ, don't worry if I'm in danger. Don't be upset if I get thrown in prison. Don't fret if I'm starved, cold, or naked. Don't even despair if I'm beaten, shipwrecked, or stoned. 
Don't lose heart over anything. I may have to suffer for you. Just get the message. Hear and receive the gospel of salvation. It is worth it. I gladly suffer so that you too can one day be glorified in God's presence along with me. It kind of puts into perspective our petty annoyances. It's more than a little convicting to admit that when we face any kind of hardship or difficulty, we want to throw in the towel. It's sobering how quickly and easily we lose heart. But I mean, why in the world would we want to keep getting back into the ring after we get knocked down over and over again? Well, because it's worth it, church. People are dying on that road to eternal destruction. They're headed straight for an eternity separated from God. But we have the message of good news. We know the hope of the gospel, and it's available to those who trust in that red drop of blood to cover over their unrighteousness and forgive their sin. Any light or momentary troubles that we might have to endure are achieving for us and for those that we serve an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. The glory of being with Christ forever. Sin and death finally and completely conquered in perfect fellowship with God and each other the way it was always meant to be. The question we have to ask ourselves today is do we have that same perspective that Paul did? Are we willing to pay any price to minister to as many people as we can about the unsearchable riches that are available to us in Christ? Are we willing to endure any and all suffering so that others might hear the gospel and receive the lavish grace that is available to them in Christ? I know that those are very, very hard questions. It's pretty easy to sit here in our comfy church on a relatively beautiful Sunday morning and be like, oh yeah, man, amen, I am all, count me in. But it's not so easy when the rubber starts to hit the road. So perhaps we can put it in other terms. Are you willing to teach truth? To promote fellowship? To pray in faith? To praise and adore God? To lead others? To reach the lost? To make disciples? To make godly decisions? To serve others? To be charitable or generous out of the overflow of a grateful heart? To build each other up in Christ? or to manage well? Are you willing to do those things so that others might know what God has done for them in Christ? Are you willing to do your part to put the manifold wisdom of God on display to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places? Are you willing to do those things even if it means that you have to suffer? The sooner we learn not just to accept suffering, but to embrace that what God can accomplish through it, the more joy and peace we will have as we walk that road of sanctification together. That road that will one day lead to our glorification. One day, 
our battle with sin will be over. It'll be gone. No more suffering, no more sickness, no more sorrow, only glory in the presence of Jesus and in his kingdom forever. In a letter to his spiritual son in the faith, Paul wrote to Timothy, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain salvation in Christ Jesus with its eternal glory. Are you willing to obey the commission that we've been given to go and make disciples of the tri-state region and beyond? Paul was. And we are still reaping the benefits of his willingness to suffer for those to whom God would send him.